0: back for another exciting episode
1: exhilarating edge of your seat exciting episode
0: (laughs) at least it is for us i don't know what the four viewers are gonna think about it but
1: we just lost one we're down to three
0: (laughs) we're down to three (laughs) so we have plenty (laughs) of room for more viewers
1: And and it's free to subscribe and watch
0: yeah so even if it's not good you're not out anything
1: yeah fall asleep you know doze off i don't
0: care and I would uh, encourage people to keep it on a loop. Just keep that going. Yes. Because we need numbers. But no, I'm Aaron Throckmorton. I'm Colin Throckmorton. We, uh, we've been talking a lot about Africa. And we were talking about some other countries. And my Zimbabwe story came up the other day.
1: Yeah. And you had an interesting story. Because we've talked before about outfitters. And you want to vet them and make sure you have a good quality outfitter. Because you are traveling halfway around the country, typically to a third world country. Yes. And you want to feel safe.
0: Correct. And, um, you know, I was actually in the industry at the time. And I had this uh, younger kid reach out to me on Facebook. And he goes, hey, I'm taking over a Zimbabwe operation. I'm looking for a hunting consultant and TV show to partner with. And he seemed like a really good kid, told me everything where the where the camp was at. I mean, everything was perfect up to that point. And so I had actually organized another a client to go with me to hunt leopard. And when um, and I told the client, I said, "Look, this is a vetting trip, so I, I don't know how good they are or how bad they are, but we decided to to go on this trip. Now, my client was coming in a week after me. I actually started in South Africa, and um, this kid who was taking over this operation, <clears throat> excuse me, he picked us up and he was supposed to pick us up at noon that day and drive to Zimbabwe. Well he picked us up at six at night. That oh. was the first red flag. And he showed up in a vehicle that could barely fit four people. And there was five of us with all of our camera gear because I hired a camera crew. Actually, the editors of my TV show, Johan mm-hmm. and Beulah, that's who I hired to film oh, this, sure. th- this hunt. But uh, long story short, we had to find his buddy's house to crash at that night. We all had to share a bedroom. A couple of mm-hmm. us were on the floor. Um, you know, but whatever. We're making the best of it. And the next day, he's driving. You can actually get to Zimbabwe in about two hours. He's driving all the way around. And I fi- I finally found out after the fact that he didn't want to pay the tolls. He actually didn't have money to pay the tolls. Ooh. So we missed the border. We got there at 6.15. It closed at 6. And they're not going to let us cross. So at that point, there was a <clears throat> little bed and breakfast or something down the road. And he pulls me aside. and He says, dude, I have no money. <laughs> I said, all right. So I got everybody rooms. We got dinner that night. I'm just trying to make the best of it. So couple red flags were happening, but I'm just, it, it's more an annoyance. Right. It's not dangerous or anything. So anyway, long story short, we get to camp and um, we, we pull up to camp and I meet the actual outfitter who has this camp or who has this concession, I should say. And um, he just doesn't look happy. You know, when you show up in camp, they always greet you and they're smiling. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. You know, he's just not happy at all. So he pulls this young kid aside and we're kind of walking around the, the compound looking at stuff, unloading our stuff. And, and it was funny because nobody came to help us. No trackers, no staff came to help us unload. We unloaded ourselves, which was fine. Mm-hmm. We found rooms and the camp was pretty crude. <clears throat> I mean, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't five-star by any mean, but I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm here checking this guy out. I want to make sure the hunting's good. An hour later, this outfitter pulls me aside and he says, look, having you you guys here is costing me a bunch of money with the government. And I mm-hmm. said, well, I'm sorry. I don't know how your business works. That's why I'm here to you know to learn about this. And he says, well, um, I didn't know all you guys were showing up. And I said, well, it sounds like maybe I won't say the kid's name. The, the young kid didn't communicate this with you. He goes, no, he didn't. And I said, well, this is what we're here doing. And what happened was, is my client was going to do a leopard hunt and I was doing an elephant hunt. We were doing a deprivation hunt where these elephants were coming in and raiding these crops at night. And one of the local villages, um, they said they wanted help taking one of these bulls out. So that's what we were going to do. Well, day one of the hunt comes around and there's no bait out for the leopard. We're not going elephant hunting. We're kind of sitting around camp. And they talked my client into going hippo hunting. Mm. So we're just stalking through the, and and keep in mind, I've never hunted hippo before. So we're just hiking through the jungle, hunting hippo. And I'm like, and finally the one PH says, look, this isn't normal. The second day, the outfitter, the older gentleman went into town, he said, to get permits. When they came back, they pulled me aside and said, look, you need to ask him about the permits. I don't think legally we can even be hunting here. He doesn't have the right paperwork. So I approached him that evening around the campfire, and keep in mind, there's probably about six or eight of us around this campfire. And I walk up to this older gentleman, and yeah, I'm six one, and he's five yeah. seven, you know. And I just said, "Hey, sir," um, being a, a hunting consultant, I would like to see the paperwork and the permits. And he completely lost his mind. He starts hitting me in the chest. He starts accusing me of everything, and he's just yelling at me. And I'm just I'm standing down, you know, my client's there. Uh, my camera crew's there, so I'm trying to be cool with this. And uh, yeah, you don't trust me, and you think I'm doing all this illegal stuff. And I'm like, uh, sir, I'm not accusing you of that. I'm just trying to make sure that my t's are crossed, and my eyes are dotted. Well, anyway, he doesn't show me the paperwork, <coughs> he gets drunk that evening. <laughs> True story, and he uh, he falls asleep at the fire. Now, you've been to Africa before, yeah. and you know, the outfitters wear Daisy Dukes, oh, yes, at best. Well, he was exposed to the world around the campfire. His junk was out in full display. And I'm not saying we took pictures. But anyway, (laughs) he had left his paperwork out, and we found out that he did not have a permit for the elephant. When he went in, um, he was talking to one of the government officials, and one of the professional hunters overheard them talking about if Aaron shoots an elephant... Get that ivory to us. We have a place to sell it. Mm. So now, so I'm sitting there in Zimbabwe. and, and, And keep in mind, I don't want people to think that Zimbabwe is completely corrupt. There's a lot of corruption in the world. This guy was very corrupt. He was actually a South African. He was not a native Zimbabwean. But anyway, you know, now I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, I'm in Zimbabwe. We don't have the right permits. This guy's in the ivory trade. So the next day he comes to me and he goes, I don't like that you challenged me in front of my staff. And I'm like, sir, I wasn't challenging you. I was just asking. And he goes, I'm going to tell you this right now. You're not leaving here alive. Oh. And I kind of looked at him and I started laughing because I'm joking. I Mm -hmm. joke like that. And he's not laughing. And he walked off. So I go to my camera crew. They're also from South Africa. And I told them what happened. And they're like, was he serious? I'm like, you know, I think he was. So I'm not sure what to do. I'm kind of walking on the compound, and I called Tino, our buddy in South Africa. Yeah. And I said, hey, man, I think I'm in a little trouble up here in Zim. He goes, it's not going good? So I told him who I was with, and the it just got silent. And he goes, dude, I've had run-ins with him. We had to leave in the middle of the night. He was threatening us. He's very, very corrupt. And I said, well, okay. So at that point, then I call one of my other professional hunter buddies in Namibia And I tell him what I'm up against. He didn't know this gentleman, but he started doing some research. He then contacted the head of the Zimbabwe Professional Hunter Association, who then called me on WhatsApp. And I won't say this gentleman's name. I'm going to keep the names out. But anyway, this guy was great. He called and he said, hey, Devon called and said, you're in some trouble. We know who this guy is. And so all these things are are going on behind the scenes. Just a little bit of a backstory. A year before this, Tino and I had a good friend named Scott. And he was a professional hunter from South Africa. He was up there uh, guiding or whatever, mm-hmm. and he went missing. They found his vehicle, and they found tracks, and they, they tracked him to the water, and they found his backpack while well, he's dead. And so they actually ended up killing a crocodile, and he was inside of it. Oh, wow. So they said a croc got him. The weird thing was is he went tracking this, uh, I think it was a buffalo, with no rifle, and so we all, were, we all were kind of thinking that, okay, something happened financially where they actually probably murdered him, threw him in the water, and 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 th- that was our whole story. This happened about a year before I got there. So now my mind's racing. Oh, absolutely. Now my mind's racing, and I'm thinking, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same part of Zimbabwe, and this happened to Scott. So the next day, we're out hunting, and we had seen a kudu. We get back to camp, and the old guy goes, so you saw a good kudu today? And I said, yeah, he, he was nice. And he goes... Let you and I go for a drive. And I'm thinking, okay, this is it. Again, he's wearing his Daisy Dukes. I see he's not, he does not have a gun. I can see that. He goes back in the kitchen. I go through his vehicle. I look under the seats. I'm looking, there's no gun. So I'm thinking, all right, he's not just going to shoot me, you know? Right. <clears throat> but uh, so we get in, we drive, and we go right down to the water. And I'm like, oh, here we go.
1: So this is actually sounding like. Zimbabwe's version of the train station on Yellowstone.
0: I'll have to take your word for yeah, it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen Yellowstone, but if that's what when they it talk is, about going to the train station, the people don't come back. That's exactly yeah. it. I was waiting for him to have some of his guys there, some of oh, his yeah. staff there. And so, anyway, long story short, we get back and I make it back alive. And and so I thought, man, I'm just going to have to try and charm this guy. And so I pulled him aside and I said, hey, no disrespect. I, I'm really sorry if I disrespected you. Um, I just want to make a good hunt for my client. Well, he would take little jabs the next couple of days. And my camera crew actually encouraged me to sleep with a 375. And, um, you know, it was just eerie. But there was this one tracker and his, his name was Peter. And um, very, very quiet, very quiet guy. But I'm in camp one day and he's walking by and I'm like, hey. And he goes, hey, boss. And uh, he comes over and I said, man, you know, your boss doesn't like me. And he goes, yeah, I don't like him. He's not good. And mm-hmm. so I kind of looked at him. and I'm like, can you help me? And he goes, yeah. And he just walked off. You know, in that whole week we're sitting there, vehicles would would come into camp, very nice vehicles. And again, we're 60 miles out in the bush. And government officials would get out in suits. And they'd walk in. And he would give them food and money and tires. He, he gave them tires one day. And he gave him all the food from camp one day. So we had to drive to the nearest town. And I personally spent $500 on food oh, for wow. the camp. So this guy, he was definitely corrupt all the way around. But as they were doing their morning huddles and speaking in Afrikaans, um, obviously, I didn't know what they were saying. But right. Peter would hang out. And so <clears throat> one morning, the old guy comes to me and he goes, OK, we found a ranch. You can go hunt elephant. They got four problem bulls. I'm like, Great. And he leaves and at the same time Peter's walking toward me and he, he doesn't stop. He just keeps going. He's like, don't go. And he just kept walking. And I'm like, dang, you know. So I go to my camera crew and I'm like, um, he's telling me not to go. So they went and talked with him. They came back and they said, yeah, we're not going. Um, in Zimbabwe, you have to have Game Scouts with you when you hunt, which is in a lot of those countries. Right. The Game Scouts were instructed as soon as I stepped off the vehicle to shoot me in the back. Oh, wow. And they were going to say that I was a poacher and I was running from them. Sure. So, without Peter there, I mean, yeah, I probably wouldn't even be here. But so it was like that um, for about a week, you know. And every day, um, the the gentleman from the Zimbabwe Professional Hunter Association, Tino, um, a couple guys from the US Embassy, they actually called me. And at one night, they said, Look, we know where you're at. We got a helicopter. We're coming in. And I said, look, I got a client here who's 80 years old. I can't leave him. And they said, that's fine. We're, we offered once. We're not offering again. Oh, wow. And I said, OK, that's fine. So I, I could have got out then. But the, I told the older guy that I was leaving a day early. And uh, cause I had a flight to go back to Johannesburg. But I knew he wasn't going to let me go. So I went to him. And I said, hey, I need to go a day early. I'm uh, <clears throat> meeting with some people in uh, Victoria Falls. And uh, he goes, no, you're not going anywhere. And I said, no, I think I am. He goes, oh, trust me, you're not. And so he goes, come with me. So we walk into his office and he goes, sit down. And he pushes this book to me like a ledger. So I open it up and it says money owed $5,000. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what's this for? He goes, well, that's what you owe me. And I said, well, I have a contract right here that I signed that I don't owe any money. And um, he goes, no, you're going to pay for this and you're going to pay for the gas and you're going to, and he's going through all this stuff. And I'd finally had enough. And I said, you know what? I'm not giving you anything. And I said, I heard about your conversation with the government official about the ivory trade. And that was all recorded audio, with, with audio. And my editor has it. And so if anything happens to me, they're coming for you. And he just looked at me and he goes, F you, get out. I walk out, I holler at my camera crew, they already have my bags. We jump in this vehicle and we race into Victoria Falls you know. Yeah. So we get to Victoria Falls. I find a little bed and breakfast. I get a room. There's bars on the windows, which made me feel like really good. Right. You know, because at that point I'm completely paranoid. I've been in this camp for 10 days. So go to bed. I wake up the next morning. <laughs> I'm peeking out and I see all these people out there having breakfast. And I was too afraid to go eat. I was like, there's no way they're going to get me. So I leave my room. I run over to the front desk. I'm like, hey, I need an Uber like in five minutes to the airport. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get this driver. He gets me to the airport, drops me off. I go in there, and I'm thinking, man, I just got to get on this flight, and I'm safe. And I check in. They're very, very nice at the front desk. And um, she looks at the ticket, and she goes, oh, Mr. Throckmorton. I'm like, yeah. She goes, one minute. She picks up the phone. And she calls, so I'm standing there. And then I turn to my left and I look, and there's two police officers walking right to me. And I'm like, that son of a bitch, he's going to have me arrested here in Zimbabwe. So the guy walks up, and these guys are big guys, both about 6'4". And I'm like, <laughs> all right. And they're like, Mr. Throckmorton? I'm like, yeah, like, you need to come with us. All right. So I follow him. We go in this little little dark room in the airport, and I sit down, and they're on the other side of the table. And he goes, yeah, do you know why you're here? And I'm like, yeah, I got a pretty good idea. And he goes, yeah, we we don't know what's in that case of yours. I'm like, in the case? He goes, yeah, the gun case. I'm like, oh, no, that's a bow. And the cop's like, yeah, we're not so sure. And so, again, I've been to Africa enough. I, I kind of yeah. knew it was a little bit of a shakedown, but I knew it didn't have anything to do with the outfitter. So I pulled out 50 bucks, I put it on the table, and I'm like, I promise you it's a bow and arrow. And they grabbed it, and they said, yeah, we believe you. You can go. Mm-hmm. I got on the plane and luckily made it back to Joburg. And yeah, so that was a a crazy story. But I always tell people, I mean, I do have a lot of, well, we actually have two very good outfitters in Zimbabwe. Um, But this is why I go on these trips. Because if I were just to send clients to this guy without being there, it'd be such a disservice, you know, to our clients. So unfortunately, that was, you know, one of the crazier stories I've had in travels.
1: Absolutely. And when we talk about, you know, we have a hunt for you, you tell us what you want, whether you want high fence, free range, whichever country you want, whether you want five star, sleep in a tent or your Econo lodge experience in yeah, Zimbabwe. Exactly. Um, I guess you even have to, you know, you want to be the one that's being pursued hunt if, if we want to reuse that outfitter
0: <laughs> yeah i mean we've i mean in, in all my travels we've dealt with some bad outfitters before and usually it's just because they are inadequate they right. aren't good guides they don't understand service but this was dangerous i yes. mean this you know this was very dangerous and it's funny because that that black tracker peter him and i are still friends on facebook and when he heard all this was going down one evening him and another tracker came and grabbed me and one of the other guys in our group and we drove to their village and i forgot to tell this part and he goes i want to take you to a club like a club we're driving through the jungle through trees and i'm like oh man are they going to execute me here too i'm thinking you know you're just paranoid and so we pull up and there's this music there's this wooden box basically and music's just bumping And it's just all black people and they are having a great time. And the car pulls up in the front and the music stops completely. And I get out and everybody's staring at me. Not that I stand out, but I do. And this guy's walking right to me and he comes and he gets right close and he goes, are you the guy here helping with the elephants? And I didn't even know how to answer. I'm like, I don't know how he feels about it. I'm like, I am. And he goes, welcome. And the music hits, and my heart it's, I was like, "Oh my gosh, and I go in and they're selling homemade beer out of two liter like Pepsi bottles, yeah, a dollar a piece, mm. and I'm like, "How many do you have?" and the guy counts he goes forty eight I'm like here's fifty bucks every it's on me, yeah so I actually had to got to meet this guy's friends and his family, <laughs> and oh, wow. but we're still friends on Facebook. The outfitter actually passed away. He went into hiding, and in i i i, I want to see the Waterberg Mountains mm. in South Africa, and he ended up passing away of cancer, but yeah crazy story. um but that is why when you book a hunt with us, you know we know you're not going to be in danger.
1: yeah, that's very important, yeah halfway it is. around the world.
0: it is so, yeah, one of those stories that I had forgotten about until I was on a trip this last week, and someone said, "Man, do a podcast on that. we want to hear about it. So yeah, um, one of those moments when I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out, but by the grace of God, I had the right people on my side.
1: Yes, absolutely. otherwise, I wouldn't have a podcast with you right now.
0: It'd be kind of boring.
1: No, I'd make it happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, don't be afraid of Zimbabwe. We have some amazing hunts over there, um, and and it's very it's very easy to get there. Typically, you're going to fly to Joburg, up to Vic Falls, and then you're going to drive to, you know, one of our blocks there that yeah. that that we have. So anyway, if a hunt in Africa or in Zimbabwe is on your bucket list, hit us up with that email there. Um, one of us will get yeah. back with you, and uh, we'll take care of you. I promise you will not have to call the embassy. <laughs> hopefully hopefully
1: (laughs) so yeah like subscribe whatever that button says and uh, follow us for more interesting stories
0: yeah we'll have plenty more this year thank you guys for watching thanks if any of you want to go on any of these hunts or trips around the world that we talk about on this podcast true flight adventures can help you with every step of the way get a hold of us either by calling or emailing and we can get you on that trip of a lifetime
1: thank you for joining us If you'd like to hear more of our stories and commentary, or something to sleep to, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy watching us ramble on, then subscribe on YouTube or Carbon TV. Until next time on Giving Back TV Podcast.